Dear Lord, this morning, I'd just like to pray for John, Lord. I'd ask to pray for calm nerves, and Lord, I'd just like to ask that your words come out of his mouth and uh, that we all have a good time learning from him this morning, Lord. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Is this on? No, it is. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, Brave Hearts is something I look forward to every week. Uh, I've been coming here, I don't know really how long, a couple of years anyway. Uh, it seems like whatever Pastor Curtis is teaching on is something I'm either going through or I'm working on a big majority of the time. So it's something I really do look forward to. Um, my dad and I one time were asked to speak in a, at a men's group. They told us there would probably be about 100 men there. I'd only been a Christian about a year. I'd never spoken in front of Christian men before, and so I was really nervous, kind of like I am this morning. And uh, I was talking to my dad about it. He had done a lot of speaking. He said, you know, John, whenever you start, just start with something lighthearted. Tell a joke. And he said, but I know you can't tell a joke, son, so I'm going to give you one. He said, just tell everybody that uh, your dad says that uh, leaking eyes reduces swelling of the head, which I've found to be very wise words. And I didn't cry the first 45 years of my life. And after I was saved, well, I get overwhelmed uh, when I think about what God's done for me, what he's doing for me. And uh, so tears come. If there's tears this morning, well, it's because I want to be a pinhead. Um, Pastor Curtis, he spoke recently about the sticks and stones. It might have been, was it last week or week before? I don't remember. But uh, I know we can all agree that that's not true, that our words are much more powerful. Uh, they carry weight probably that we don't even realize most of the time. If our words, if they contain beauty and encouragement, people hold on to those things like treasures. Uh, you probably can remember yourself encouraging words that have been spoken into your life and you still hold on to them. But if our words bring pain, uh, people just toss them aside, but usually not until they've had to deal with the wound that those words have caused. I'm having trouble seeing this morning. I don't want to put on my glasses. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want to just give some personal testimony this morning. It's a couple of stories, real life stories about words that were spoken to me and that words that I've spoken to people that I love. When I was uh, 13, some words were spoken to me carelessly by my dad. His intention was never to harm me. And I know that now, but I didn't know that at the time. I'm not blaming my dad for my bad choices. I take full responsibility for that. 
until those words were spoken to me, my dad, he was my hero. Man, I was with him everywhere he went. Anytime he'd let me go, I wanted to be just like him. After he became a man that I couldn't stand to be around, I rebelled against him, the church, and God. My dad was a bivocational pastor. He pastored a farm community church. He owned a heating and air and electrical service company. I'd spent my entire life in church, and somehow I didn't know that being a Christ follower was about a relationship with Christ. That's pretty ironic, isn't it? And it may be more common than what we actually believe. It was just a bunch of rules to me that I knew I was totally incapable of keeping. And so I walked away. I left home at 17, and man, I was angry. Without the godly influence of my dad, the world took me right in, man. Arms wide open. I set out to be everything that my dad was not. And boy, I did a good job of it too. I began a journey in addiction that lasted until I was 45 years old. If you've ever lived in addiction or someone in your family circle or circle of friends that's had that issue, you know exactly the life that I lived. There's not really any need to go into that, I don't believe. I accepted Jesus as my Savior at 45 years old. My life, it got a lot better. You know, I, I've always I've been told since those times, you know, we don't go to Christ to get a better life. We go to Christ because of what He did for us on the cross, which is true. But my life did get a lot better. Uh, Living a God-centered life, it's not easy, I've come to understand, but I can tell you this also, living as a drunk and a drug addict is not a cakewalk either. I met a woman at the church that I was going to and after I was saved. She was on the stage one Sunday morning giving her testimony. And uh, I knew when I saw her that after I heard her speak, I knew that she was going to be my wife. It only took me four years to convince her to. But hey, I finally got it done. And I think really what I did is I just wore her down probably. But she gave in. That's all that's important. Uh, we became a blended family. We had six kids, two boys, four girls. Chad was the older of the two boys. He struggled with addiction since he was a young teenager. Excuse me. Evelyn and I, we prayed for Chad. We talked to him. We tried to encourage him. Uh, we prayed over him. And this went on for quite some time, and there was never any changes, you know. Uh, but our job is to plant the seed. It's God's responsibility to make it grow. And so that's what we continue to do. We just sowed into his life. 
and then we can become discouraged over that when we don't see the seed growing you know we think man are we wasting our time or what's going on here but uh sometimes god allows us to see the seed grow also which is really a faith builder in my life when i'm able to see that anyway out of the blue one day he came to us and told us that he needed help with the addiction and so we found a faith-based treatment place down in odessa and we got him in down there and he was saved while he was down there he came back home and uh began to do the things he needed to do. He began being a father to his two children. Actually got a job. I was really surprised. Uh, went to work taking care of the things that he needed to take care of. Uh, he went on a walk to Emmaus that I had the privilege of working that his walk. And man, that was... Uh, it was a huge blessing. It's something that I'll always remember for sure. Chad was hurt at work. And the insurance company, they requested that he go to a pain management clinic here in Amarillo. They prescribed him hydrocodone. Lots of hydrocodone. This was before they began all of the things that they're doing now. All he had to do to get it was just show up at the clinic once a month and they wrote the new script. And uh, wasn't too long and it was evident that Chad was abusing the, the opioids. Uh, Evelyn and I, we tried to talk to him many times, uh, but he didn't want to hear it. I had a conversation with him one afternoon and it wasn't very good. I was being very judgmental. I was angry. Uh, I have that man fix it mentality, and I needed to fix it, and he wasn't paying attention, you know. And so I was very angry. Instead of speaking words of encouragement or words of life or even just praying with him, I was angry because he was causing me a lot of inconvenience in my life. Next time I saw Chad, he was in a coffin. He had OD'd on the opioids. Much as I wanted to apologize and redo the words, it was too late. You know, that door had been shut and it couldn't be opened again. I'm sure as everybody can understand, my family was devastated. We've experienced grief and loss before, but nothing to this level. I know there's some men in here that understand exactly what I'm saying. I begin to question God's goodness. Uh, I thought, man, how can God allow this to happen to my family? We're trying to do what the Word tells us to do. Uh, And something like this happens. I begin to fear for my wife's life. She told me, if this is as good as it gets, I don't want to be here. 
my heart just began to grow colder and harder by the day. I'd stopped reading my Bible and I'd pray from time to time, but it was just words that come from my heart. I was actually, uh, I knew the thoughts and things that I had weren't pleasing to God. And so I began to try to hide from Him. I'm going to have to put these on. <laughs> I started uh, trying to distance myself from some Christian brothers and things during that time also. Uh, I really didn't want to hear what they had to say. Uh, I had one friend that wouldn't allow it. Uh, he just continually called me and spoke to me and tried to encourage me and I'm very grateful for him today. I was carrying all the pain of my family as well as my own guilt and shame over my words to Chad. God didn't create us to carry this kind of stuff on our own. He wants us to come to Him with those burdens. He already knows them. I don't know why I think I can hide from Him or I can... You know, if I don't speak to him about it, it really didn't happen, you know. But anyway, I was educated in Shamrock, so maybe that gives you all a clue. Some time went by, and the guilt and the shame and the grief, man, they were killing me. I couldn't sleep, couldn't think straight. Uh, everything in my world was upside down. So I returned to an old friend. Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. When Chad died, I'd been sober 12 or 13 years. Now I was at the liquor store again at 9.50 in the mornings waiting for him to open. As I was wallowing in my self-pity, my wife was on her knees in her, in her prayer closet. She knew the only way that she was going to be able to get through that was to rely on God for healing. I'm sure as you can imagine, our uh, marriage wasn't good. She had never known me as a drunk. I was driving up to the Oklahoma Panhandle one afternoon. We had a job going on up there. I was going up there to look at things. And I was in road construction. And uh, we were probably cruising along 65, 70 miles an hour. And I was distracted. I looked down, and when I looked back up, the car in front of me had stopped. And I was right on him. He was in a little small crossover, and I was in a three-quarter ton diesel truck. And I hit him in the rear end. And I'd been drinking, so naturally I go to jail. I hadn't been listening to that still, small voice for quite some time at that point. But you know, sitting in a jail cell, you can begin to hear. Conviction became overwhelming to me. Uh, just many thoughts, you know, of begin to relive the things that God had done for me and had taken away the desire of the alcohol uh, 12, 13 years previous and I picked it back up. 
And uh, anyway, that night was rough. I called a guy that worked for me. He came and got me the next morning. And uh, he was driving me home, and I knew that when I got home, my wife would let me know that she would be leaving. You know, she'd been dealing with my bad decisions for a while now. She was grieving. She was hurt. Uh, she didn't know the man that she was married to any longer. And uh, so I knew this would probably be the end of it. It wasn't that day or the next. I think it was actually two days after that, after I'd gotten back home. Uh, I came home from work one day, and uh, I'd gotten pretty serious about my prayer life again, and I began to read, and I began to listen, and I knew that the alcohol was a symptom of a spiritual problem in my life, and so I told Evelyn, I, I need some help, you know, I want to want to go to a faith-based program. And much to my surprise, she was willing to help me find it, I, you know. So we start looking, and we're looking for faith-based, and that's a big nightmare in itself anyway. But I found this one. It's called Eternal Awakenings, and it's in Gonzales, Texas. And so I said, uh, man, I don't know where Gonzales is, but I bet that's a border town. You know, you've all heard all the horror stories of the border town, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to let me take a pistol to this program, so I'm not going there. So anyway, we keep calling, and we call, and we call, and all of them advertise faith-based, but what's going on is they say, well, we have a, they call it a religious track. What does that mean? <laughs> well, we'll get you to a church of your choice. Uh, that's not really what I'm looking for, so. Man, we just kept looking, and that eternal awakenings, it would pop up. I'd push it back, I'd push it back. And, you know, it's God. God saying, hey, this is the one right here. But, no, nah, I wasn't listening. Anyway, Evelyn says, John, just call them and talk to them. So I called them, and I found out Gonzalez is southeast of San Antonio. <laughs> so, hey, I'm good. Anyway, I called them, and we got it all set up. And my wife, she told me uh, that she wanted to drive me down there. She wanted to meet the people, see what the program's about. She wanted to be involved. Had it been her with the problem, I probably would have just stuck her on an airplane and hoped that she came back fixed, you know. I'm, I'm very thankful for my wife. God truly blessed me with that woman for sure. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've read this scripture many times, but it would come to mean something far different to me than it ever had. While I was down there, I came across that scripture. And uh, I have a friend, y'all. some of y'all know him. Uh, and I have a friend that's probably pretty, anyway. Uh, a lot of times when he prays, when he starts out, he says, Father, I come boldly to your throne for your grace, favor, and mercy. So this wasn't an unfamiliar scripture to me before, but that day I began to understand some things about myself that I'd never seen before. When I was a kid, when I'd do something that I knew displeased my dad, I would just stay away from him, you know. Uh, and after some time would pass and I'd done a couple of good deeds, things I knew he'd be happy about, well, then I'd get back around him, you know. 
And what I discovered is I was doing the same thing with God. Uh, I think what I was probably doing was checking those boxes. You know, hey, I'm going to church. Check that box. Hey, I put a little money in the plate. Check that box. And uh, instead of taking Him, going to Him with those problems and my struggles, I was trying to make payments on my salvation. You know, I was wanting to earn what He had freely given me through His Son on the cross. And I finally began to see that. It was like big illumination lights going off in my brain. Uh, You know, when you come to the realization that you'll never be able to earn it, pay for it, that it was a gift that was given through a great sacrifice, some things can change in your life at that point. Uh, you know, this realizing the, the condition, the human condition I have, sin is going to be a part of my life. Uh, I am going to fall short. But I never, I never got that connected. I always felt like that I would get good enough, or that, uh, you know, I would. I knew the thoughts in my head. I had, uh, I'd have terrible thoughts. You know, I knew who I was. How could God love me? You know, I knew that He could heal. I knew that He could uh, do anything He chose to do. But the problem was, I knew He might do it for Audie, but I was pretty sure He wouldn't do it for me. Because I knew who I was. But what I did is I hadn't fully accepted that uh, that was taken care of on the cross. He knew I couldn't do it. That scripture, Hebrews 4.16, they quit being just words to me that Brother Terry prays, you know. Uh, they're words that give me hope. And I know that God loves me, cares for me, and helps me even in my failures. Each one of these events in my life, they all begin with words that were spoken to me or words that I've spoken to someone that I loved. I guess I want to close with this. We get to choose our words. Which ones will you choose? Audie, would you pray for us?